Welcome to Ideas on Trap. In the light of the ongoing global pandemic, we will be hosting a series of short conversations around that theme. I hope you and your families are staying safe. Please follow all the recommended guidelines by the public health expert organizations that are responding to the crisis. Do not spread panic and only share information from credible and verified sources. Thank you. Ideas on Trap Coronavirus episode, and I'm Pei Fawemi, who needs no introduction. Welcome, Pei. Thanks, Tobias. Yeah, as usual, during the pandemic, your Twitter feed has been very active. I wouldn't say more active than usual, but it's a consistent theme. And I want to explore something you've been, you started tweeting about earlier which yeah. is the various institutional responses to the crisis. You know, like how democratic states are handling things like information and crisis management as opposed to states that are less democratic. What, what are your observations and insights on that? Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fast-moving situation, but I think, I think it was... I, 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 I think the way I would have... I would probably go back and look at all of that is you know how many responses have been typically what you would expect so for example you would expect an authoritarian state to behave in a certain way so so i mean there are stories in china of basically i read one particularly harrowing story for example of um um, some parents stepped out of the house, they left their child who had cerebral palsy inside and then a lockdown happened and they couldn't go back and the child starved to death you know so I would not expect that to happen in mainly a democratic state where state where governments have they need the consent of the people. So, so you know, an authoritarian state can move quicker, you know, and can yeah. be more brutal, you know, and can be more brutal. So, a lot of it has, you know, has um, played as I would have expected. I, I mean, for example, there's no, I won't say I've been disappointed in particular by any democratic state that has gone heavily or authoritarian, for example, and done some things that I did not expect. I mean, France is France, you know, so, I mean, they've had soldiers out, out on the streets for a while now. The president can rule by decree, so they have their own idiosyncrasies, and, you know, they've been battling the the um, the yellow vests, the gilets jaunes, they've been yeah, battling yeah. them for, for, yeah, for a year. For a while now. So, yeah. yeah, you know, so, so I mean, the, the way Macron moved decisively, and they shut everything down and started finding people brought the soldiers out is what I would expect. You know, there's nothing, you know. I think one place where I didn't, or with the benefit of uh, better information now, I would say I didn't quite get what I think I gave the, the small Asian countries, I think I gave them a bit too much credit. So, okay. so Sing- Singapore, Taiwan and Hong Kong in particular. Now, to be clear, they they done exceptionally well. They done very yeah. well, and and they had they've had the experience of SARS, you know, that basically made them sharper to something like this. So they know that oh, if something is coming out of China, you know, you shoot and then ask questions later. You know, this is how we need to react. So they have that infrastructure, that institutional infrastructure to react to things like this quicker and better. 
but yeah. there was a ver- there was a variable that I didn't really consider, and this is the fact that over time, between the time that SARS has happened and now, it's a it's a much different world. You know, if if the number of Chinese who have passports and can travel abroad increases by one percent, that is tens of millions of people. Yeah, you know, you, you know, so it, 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 and when you look at over time between SARS and now. Over time, a lot of these countries around China are completely dependent on China for tourism, for so many travel, for so many different things. So, what China did that that was the variable is that China locked down its people. By locking down its people, you know, it, it gave quite an important advantage to to a lot of these smaller countries that they did not get overwhelmed. You know, so yeah, in, yeah. In, so in the, so in the time of SARS, you know, it wasn't that easy. Maybe the, the number of Chinese who had passports is, I think, it's still under ten percent. But maybe in the time of SARS, say it was four percent or something. I think now it's probably closer to ten percent. And when you go to places like Thailand, for example, you see that whole parts of industry and all that stuff is dominated by the Chinese. You know, yeah. and, and Taiwan and Taiwan as well, and Hong Kong. And Singapore, I mean, there are all kinds of businesses in this place that that do nothing but cater to visitors from China. So, by locking down its people, China gave these countries quite a significant amount of breathing. So you can see Singapore. So Singapore could focus on things like, you know, aggressive testing and tracing, and their numbers were small for a long time. So the Singapore numbers were under 100. So basically, they caught one person, they were able to quickly trace all their contacts, isolate them and all that kind of stuff. Hong Kong too, you know, their numbers stayed low. Same thing with Taiwan. The government was able to move quickly to mobilize the people who make masks, who make all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so initially those countries looked very good. They were good, you know, no doubt about it. They were good, but, you know, an important variable is that China locked its people down and stopped them from overwhelming its neighbors. You know, yeah, so I mean, yeah. they caught here. Yeah, you know, so I mean, you couldn't even move out of certain parts of China. I mean, I think the the lockdown at one point affected 760 million people. You know, yeah, so yeah. so so those countries, you know, they, they benefited from from that. And you can see now that the restrictions are starting to ease. These countries are now coming down, coming under a lot of pressure. So now you can see, for example, like, was it yesterday? The the chief executive of Hong Kong. It sounded ridiculous when she said that. Yeah, oh, people, yeah, Carrie Lam, when she said that people should not go to bars because when you go to bar, you get drunk, you know, and then you mingle with people, and then you might go away somewhere. And you know, it sounded ridiculous, you know, when she said that. And, I'm, and you're, you know, you're thinking that is this the person who held down this thing all that while? Again, you know, you, so you can start to see. And then now Singapore as well, their cases are starting to jump. You know, Taiwan as well. You know, they're 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 grumbling now that oh, cases are starting to go up. I think they all recorded record number of cases last week. I mean, when you look back, I went back and read some old um, Taiwan newspapers online and all that. And you see, at the beginning of this whole thing, the Taiwanese newspapers were actually saying that, oh, this is going to cost us. As soon as China was locking down people, they were actually complaining that this is going to cost the Taiwanese economy about a billion dollars. The fact that Chinese can't come, you know. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so I think those countries undoubtedly they have state capacity there's no doubt about that you know they are they are pretty good i mean they have institutional memory of what has happened in the past but but china of 2004 2005 when SARS happened is a completely different china 
from today. You know, so I mean, in 2018, for example, I was in Thailand. You know, yeah. and, I was re- and, I, and I was reading newspapers, and you know, there was a whole story about how people in the country were so upset at the, they hadn't had their elections at the time, but they were so upset at the military leader of Thailand at that time. And what did he do? Basically, there was a ferry, uh, tourist ferry, in one of the um, uh, resort islands in Thailand, and. It, there was a ferry accident and I think about 30 people died. I think capsized. That was carrying tourists and about 30 people died. So it became quite a big issue and a scandal. And then maybe the the, the military leader, he kind of got frustrated and, and he came out and said, oh, the reason why it happened was because that particular ferry was operated by a Chinese operator, which is true, and it was catering to Chinese uh, tourists. Also true. you know. So he implied that the, the Chinese were had lower standards than local Thai people, and that upset the, the Chinese so much that tourism numbers literally overnight dropped by about ten percent. Wow! And and immediately jobs were being lost in all these popular Thai places. So so the government now went into a panic. So they increased visa free travel, visa free um, travel. To, they expanded it to a number of countries, dropped the fees, basically just to try and make up those numbers. You know, and the Chinese were effectively punishing them that you think you can talk anyhow, you know. So, <laughs> so you know, so so China is a country that can bully all these guys very, very much. And, and you know, I mean, last time I was in, so I think I went, I think I was in Thailand about 2016 or 2017, and and when I went there, I mean, you could see we stayed in the resort and you could see that it was the the highest number of visitors were Chinese. You know, they were yeah. everywhere. They were everywhere. So so a lot of these countries are dependent on China for all kinds of stuff you know you see it all over so so if china hadn't locked down its people they would have fled because when there's a virus like this and the fact that the initial response of the chinese government was was bungled you know they, they lied they obfuscated they they, they, they they didn't seem to know what they were doing and all that so people would have fled i mean just the fact that there was a rumor that um uh, the government was going to lock down wuhan where this thing happened. I mean, yeah, the, about a yeah, million people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there was a, yeah, a three day lag between when the rumors came out and when there, about a million people ran away. They escaped, yeah. you know. So so you can imagine if it was if it was worse than that, or they didn't do it in time. I mean, people would have left the country. You know, they would have fled to Taiwan or I mean, I've walked over the border from uh, Shenzhen to Hong Kong. It's literally like a five minute walk. You know, so you can imagine if people from China just decided to overwhelm the Hong Kong border. They, I mean, Hong Kong would never, they would have been on the hiding to nothing. So I think that part of it was um, under, underrated in terms of the fact that China, wittingly or unwittingly, saved a lot of its, its competent looking neighbors by locking down the citizens. But that does not mean that, you know, they did not, they were not, you know. So, I mean, you can see again. South Korea seem to have had the singular best strategy that look, we'll just do mass testing, test everybody, and then basically begin to identify the clusters where this thing is. So, you know, and they were able to respond. So, for example, when they put down the, when they got a handle on the initial um, outbreak in, in the place called Daegu, where that church was, the church that opened it. With the super they, spreader. Yeah, with the, with the super spreader. And they, you know, they sort of isolated that by, by testing. Basically testing, you know, as Balaji has been saying on Twitter quite a lot, testing makes 
the virus visible. It's an invisible enemy, but with testing you, then you make it visible. By the time they did that, but then there were sporadic outbreaks in different places. So, for example, there's a, a, a giant government complex in Seoul, in the capital, where a lot of the civil servants work. You know, there was an outbreak there, but they were able to respond very, very quickly. So, I mean, you you see, it's almost as if they could see the virus, you know, because because of the way they had been testing, you know, so when there was an outbreak somewhere, they could quickly say, oh, looks like there's been an outbreak. But most other countries can't do that. So you have to give the Koreans that the fact that at the beginning of all this, you know, they were able to say, realize that actually testing is going to be a big component of how we fight this thing. And they sped up everything that was needed. So basically, Korean industry rose to the challenge. Korean regulators rose to the challenge by quick approval. Um, Korean manufacturing rose to the challenge by being able to manufacture this test kit. So, you know, that was a superb uh, display by them. Canada, I mean, looking again, if you come to the Western Hemisphere, Canada's Canada's numbers look pretty good. It look pretty, pretty good because, I mean, they are neighbors to a real hotbed of the thing now. I mean, America is quite, it's looking really quite bad now. And, exactly New York is ground zero of the whole thing in the world now I mean New York people drive across from Toronto to New York all the time but, but Canada seems to have got it under control and you won't say it's because of uh, it's lack of testing they've done a huge number of tests you know I mean this past week I think they've crossed 100,000 uh, tests and, and they've ramped it up in, in a short amount of time so by testing 100,000 people, they've only found about 2,000 cases. So they, so they sort of got it under control. So Canada has done well. But I think the overall point in the whole democracy and authoritarian thing is that you really don't need an authoritarian to, to get a handle of this thing. You know, democracies move slower, but they are able to do certain things better. You know, they are, they are able to think quicker and working within even harder constraints. The fact that for example, in the UK, you know, we, we don't, in Western countries, we don't leave powers, the kind of powers that can shut down an economy is not something that we normally just give to uh, politicians, even when we elect them. You know, it's a different ask. So we vote for a prime minister in the UK, for example, but if he tried to just lock down the country on a normal day, I mean, there will be uproar. You know, it's not a power we give him, no matter the size of the majority. So to get that kind of power, it means that, you know, you need permission. You know, you need a fresh, a different kind of permission. And the only thing I can give you that kind of permission is this kind of emergency that we've had, whereby locking down the country is not that simple or straightforward. And it shouldn't be, you know, for me personally, I think, I think it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be easy for any democratically elected leader to just say, oh, there's a virus, this is going to kill us and we're going to lock down the whole country. Unfortunately, it just means that you need to have, sadly, you need to have a certain amount of maybe deaths for the public to come around to the idea. So if if there had been, say, maybe two or three deaths or something, and then you say you want to lock down the country, a democracy will find it difficult to do that. An authoritarian might lock down the country even with zero deaths. You know, I mean, nobody, yeah. nothing anybody can do. But, but you know, unfortunately, you need to, you need to get the public to come round to the idea that actually there, there is a clear and present danger here. There is a major threat here, and we have to then lock down the country. And unfortunately, the only thing that probably will get you to that point is, you know, when the number of deaths start to pile up. So. 
blame democracy work, uh, working in, in in harder constraints than authoritarian countries. But so far so good. They, I mean, they they seem to be doing okay. America is probably going to be the outlier, but you know, I still think that because of the nature of America and the nature of their economy, the fact that they don't have the capability to freeze their economy like the Europeans can do. You know, yeah. they will come up. They will come up with a solution. I just think, you know, I mean, this is just nothing. Um, I don't have any particular insight. It's just a gut feeling I have that the unique nature of America means that they will find a solution that will be different from what, you know, what we are seeing elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dial back to the very beginning a bit. Mm. So now you had this situation where there was an infection. The virus has been spreading silently in China. But the the local authorities in Wuhan decided to keep it a secret. But on the other hand, after the outbreak, you find that they have a government that could respond very quickly. You know, they can do some state capacity flex, like build a hospital in three weeks, lock down hundreds of millions of people. What do you think are the incentives behind? China's model and approach to information. That's one. Then secondly, is it really a question of who dominates the economy? For example, in the West, the economy is largely private sector led, you know, but in China, even though here there are large private companies, but it's still largely state directed. So is it a question of who really owns the veto? you know, in the balance between society and the states that really determines how a government responds to a crisis of this nature? Well, okay, so, to, so to take your first question, what are the incentives? Well, I think we live in a time where there is an appeal. Authoritarianism has an appeal. And it's it's almost the natural instinct of people. I think... I think um, uh, Democracy and the fact that leaders who need consent of people who are weak is probably a, uh, it's probably an anomaly uh, when you take the whole world as a whole. It's probably something that is kind of like an anomaly. It's not it's not common. People, yeah. the idea the idea of a strong man who can solve problems, who can solve all this kind of thing, is it, fairly it's it's probably a lot more common. It's probably maybe the default of people. So we now have a situation whereby. There is a giant economy with visible progress that has money, can do various things, you know, can make things happen, and there's a strong man in charge. There's an authoritarian, strong government in charge. You know, so it's what we are seeing, you know, whereby personality. I mean, in the UK here, for example, our last election, quite unusually from previous elections was pretty much almost a presidential election. We're a parliamentary system, but the personality of Boris Johnson played a part. He carried the party. You know, we are, we are back to the era of um, big personalities, big characters in politics, and that comes with it's closer to the authoritarian side of the spectrum than anything. So people want, I don't know, I, I, th- I think it's a natural state that people want, um, people want strong leadership. Until obvious, obviously, until it becomes a problem for them, until it hits them in a way they don't like. But, but the idea, especially, especially when it's in another country. So you're living in a democracy, for example, that is quite messy, 
that your leaders spend all the time arguing. They don't seem to get anything done. You know, infrastructure is crumbling and it takes forever to build it. And then you're seeing this other place where, you know, they, they want to do something. It's moving really fast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They want to do something. They they talk about it for a bit and they quickly do it or the leader, you know. So people kind of like that thing. People people like that idea. So so there's an appeal to it, which is why I, I, I've been a bit worried, especially with Western journalists who are praising oh, how China did this. I'm like, look, you know, you are sowing the seeds for, I mean, it might not, the seeds might not germinate in the West, but in places like Africa, you know, exactly. it, 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 it's, a big, it's a bigger risk, which is why it's important to acknowledge what the democracies have done and show it in the light of the fact that you don't really need an authoritarian government to get this kind of, I mean, look at Denmark and Sweden, for example, these guys are neighbors, right? They, yeah. their, number, their coronavirus numbers are pretty much almost the same, almost roughly around the same number of cases and roughly around the same number of deaths. And they are doing things quite differently. Denmark locked down. Sweden, Sweden refused to lock down. Sweden said, you know, it was it was not necessary. So Denmark shut school. Sweden didn't. You know, Denmark shut the border and Sweden was quite upset, you know. But both of them are seemingly arriving at the same numbers by doing things quite, I mean, we'll see how things go in a couple of weeks. But, you know, it, it, they are arriving almost at the same numbers by doing things different. And this is the kind of thing that that makes a democracy work. It's the fact that we can have difference of opinions and we do things, you know, we do things differently. But the use of force is not something that we, that is, that is the first tool in the box, you know. It's, it's a nuclear option, really. So, so you know, but... But you know, if you don't talk about these things, people will not see that. You know, people in Africa are probably not going to see that. Now, China appears to have gotten over the worst of it. So, while the problem is raging elsewhere, the problem has moved to Europe and America now, and Africa now. Now, China can now appear like a hero in Africa because they've sort of gotten a handle on the virus. They can have spare capacity, so they can now. You know, I mean, a month ago, they probably wouldn't have had uh, spare testing kits or ex- equipment to send to anybody. But now they can. So now they're looking benevolent. You see with Jack Ma sending things. I mean, probably couldn't have done that a few weeks ago, but now they can. The, the pressure is off. They are starting to open up their economy gradually again. So from the point of view of an African country right now, whereby the thing is getting to critical levels, Europe is battling its own fire at the moment, has no time for anybody. America is battling its own fire at the moment, but China is just going to stroll in. So I think at the end of this, I think China's hold on Africa is going to strengthen. They will be able to, they're going to have a stronger foothold on Africa. And it's going to come with a lot of the other stuff, with the fact that, you know, they are an authoritarian government. And a lot of people are going to see that, you know, to, to put it in a Nigerian term, who democracy help? You know, it's, <laughs> it, 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 you know, as far as any African country will be concerned right now, when we were in trouble, the person who came to our, our help was China. Whether or not it was China that started the whole problem and then, you know, it, they, all that is irrelevant. Right now, the roof is on fire and the person who brings the, you know. So, so yeah, so I think that is, um, you know, the, the natural instinct to, to go back to your question, the natural instinct, authoritarian has a natural attraction whereby we then have to beat it out of our system. Um, it's democracy that helps us to, to, to get it out of our system. Now, 
um, state-led, state-directed. Well, to be honest, I think the difference is, is one of degrees. So basically, China can get industries, can direct industries in peacetime, even when there's yeah. no problem. You know, Western countries might not be able to do it, but even now, for example, in the UK, the government has set up a, a ventilator production group, and it's basically all the car makers and all the even Dyson. So basically, this is state directed. The government has given them a prototype of a ventilator to make, and now among themselves, they are they are working on. So all the industries are working. I mean, this is something that will be antitrust in a normal day. You know, on a, on a well, normal day. But on, yeah. on that note, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry to jump in. No, no. Isn't that isn't that really just um, borrowing from the East Asian model? I mean, you have Dominic Cummings, who is a big, big, big fan of industrialization, and yeah. saying that UK has to do industrial policy. We just have to try and replicate what the East Asians have done to get our competitiveness back in the light of Brexit and all that. So isn't that really just doing what Asia did? Well, to an extent, yes. But again, you see a similar thing happening in France. So you see a similar thing with um, Louis Vuitton, for example, turning over their factory to um, to make, you know, hand sanitizers and all kinds of different industries as well, coming together, yeah. working with the government. You know, the same thing is happening in Germany, even in Italy. The government yeah. has, basically, has basically commanded the ventilator maker you know, and and go into ramp up production and all that. So so it's happening even beyond Brexit. But yes, you know, I think for the UK definitely this thing is going to prove to be a a kind of um dress rehearsal for Brexit in a funny way. For a no deal Brexit. Because, you know, I think we're discovering things here right now um that are showing gaps in the economy. You know, in the way we do things, the fact that you know, the fact that UK is an open economy and is heavily reliant on manufacturing elsewhere, whereby we've outsourced quite a lot of manufacturing, only high-end manufacturing remains here, and yeah. become really a service economy. So, you know, the gaps are starting to show now. Now, for example, you know, getting equipment, getting certain types of equipment, is just not possible because everyone is hoarding ventilators, for example. On a normal day, we wanted ventilators. The government would have put out the tender and just gone with the cheapest person, which would have been China and all that, and call it a day. But now we're having to make ventilators in-house because we can't get from anywhere else. The Germans are not exporting, the Italians are not exporting, the, the Chinese are not exporting. You know, so I think <clears throat> I think um, it, it, it is proving to be an unwitting dress rehearsal for for a no-deal Brexit. And believe me, I'm pretty sure that people like Cummings are now the gaps are showing. You know, all the gaps in the UK economy, you know, the fact that what would happen to us if we got hit by a crisis? Who are we relying on? So, and I think this is one of the places where China will suffer. People will definitely move things out of an area where the state has so much control. I mean, they might move from stuff, they might move stuff from China to Vietnam or Cambodia, but in those, in that scenario, at least the state will not have the power that the Chinese state has. So, so I think China will lose a fair bit of business. I mean, we already saw with the Trump tariffs, the fact that a lot of businesses have left China for their for the neighboring countries. But when the dust of all this is settled, people are going to be quite angry at China. And they will now be viewed in a way that they are a serious risk to the fact that, you know, if we were to hit a crisis, for example, what if there was a war, for example? You know, I mean, 
our uniforms, our boots, our radio for all the things. Are they all being made in China? You know, all that kind of stuff. So it's, um, I think um, this virus is going to, it, it will accelerate things that, uh, we already saw signs of those things already in place, more nationalism, more hostility to globalization. Everyone wants yeah. to bring stuff, everyone wants to bring stuff home, produce home. I think, I think I think this virus will, will kind of accelerate that. And, you know, to your point, because of that strong nexus between the Chinese states, the Chinese Communist Party and Chinese industry, you know, people are going to view China as a big risk. And when you price in that risk, you start to wonder whether the cost savings match the risk, if you like, you know. So, yeah. Okay, so let, let's talk about Nigeria for, for a bit. Of course, we are going to talk about Nigeria. How, how would you rate our response so far? Okay, so as of yesterday, the NCDC is reporting about 40 cases. Um, my own intuition is that there is probably more because testing oh, is very low. Uh, it, testing is still about 0.5 per million currently. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and there's going, there's definitely going to be more cases. But from what I'm saying is that I, I can't really see any direction in terms of what strategy. Are we going to increase testing capacity? Are we doing lockdown? Okay, the government announced yesterday that they are closing all land borders. I mean, I thought the borders were closed before, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> So how would you really read uh, our response so far? What are we going for and what do you think we should do? What can we learn? Okay, so I think um, I think the, the challenge was that basically Nigeria had one bullet in this fight, you know, yeah. from the beginning, in the, uh, in, the, in the beginning. And that bullet was basically uh, prevention. Now, you know, to be honest, I, I think... Um, a lot of the whole talk about who oh, African countries are scanning at the airport and all that kind of stuff. I just thought, I thought it was kind of uh, unhelpful, you know, people just wanting to make the point that all oh, African countries were doing, you know. But the fact is that that was all they had. And the narrative kind of kind of ran away. Exactly, just ran away with itself, and you know, and you know, we did that because that was that was pretty much all that was available. That was all that we yeah. hope. You, you exactly hope, you know, that oh look, we will stop this thing from coming into the country, you know, who we'll just stop and, and, you know, and just hope for the best, effectively. But unfortunately, it, it can only take you so far, you know, you you can only go so far with that. And unfortunately, there wasn't really a strategy um, for phase two, if you like, that what if this defense is breached, you know, if, if we were not able to prevent this thing from coming in, what, what other bullets in the chamber? There was none. And to be fair, there can't be none. There can't be anything, you know. So there's no health system that can be overwhelmed, for example. Yeah. Whereby, you know, is look at Europe, whereby all the whole strategy is basically trying to prevent all this flats in the curve, trying to prevent the health system from it. There really isn't any health system that, you know, that's going to happen. So really, prevention was the number one bullet try to stop this thing from getting an aggressive tracing, aggressive tracing and then checking, you know. So with the Italian index case, you see that happened quite well. Everything was able to, they, they were able to, you know, t- test and trace, 
find all the guys, um, contact everyone you have come in contact with, tested all of them, you know, and where they're under control. The problem is, are you going to shut the borders? Unless you're going to shut the borders, I don't see how, you know, the fact that people are coming in every day and the disease uh, was spreading in Europe, people are coming in from Europe every day, you know, so what are you going to do? So there really wasn't any strategy and, I mean, you could see some weeks ago, for example, in February, when the NCDC chair was saying stuff like, um, "We can't waste reagents, uh, reagents on, on testing if the person does not have symptoms." And you know that was that kind of like was an alarm for me, because I felt yeah. that okay, it, it looks like there's no. So one thing that could have been done in that time was that while we while we had time to uh, to plan, we could have done maybe everything in our power to get testing ramped up you know again it would have been difficult because everyone was in the uh in the in the heat of you know this whole of, of, of fighting the virus at the time and hardly anyone was exporting test kits and even if i don't know i don't know and, and obviously again nigeria was fighting two fires at the same time the fact that yeah. uh, the all the oil price collapsed at, you know at the same time as well so that was probably the best option to ramp up testing to ramp up testing capability while we bought time but unfortunately you know all of that so so we're now at the stage where we are pretty much at the mercy of i mean events now trying to stop this thing from spreading is going to prove challenging i mean the thing that basically crept into the the seat of power the seat of government in nigeria which is a yeah, big challenge yeah. you know on yeah. its own it, it, i mean I, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I imagine that it's pretty much shut down the government as well, you know, yeah. right yeah. now, because, you know, they will have to shut down that place and just maybe wait uh, and see, just to make sure that, you know, things are, the whole place is clear, you know. And, so and, that's and another fear, another fear, sorry to cut you, another fear is that with with that, that trend, because um, I think there was a letter that leaked yesterday, ironically, where the chief of staff was writing to the speaker that some mm. members of the house of reps are refusing to get tested you yeah. know now with this thing moving to the seat of power i fear our capacity testing and response is going to shift away from the rest of the population unfortunately just, yes yeah just, just like we 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 do things in nigeria yeah now, you know, I mean, this is nigeria it's in nigeria you know i I mean, just to illustrate with an example, I remember some years ago when I was in Lagos, I think it was in 2017 or something, when doing the whole Visionscape uh, mess, where, yeah. you know, where there was refuse all over, and, you know, where people were complaining, they had no beans, refuse was, uh, Visionscape had not supplied beans, they had no beans, refuse was mounting all over, and I will never forget, I drove down body long, and I counted about 20 beans. So basically, yeah. you know, all the beans, and around Tinumbu's house, you know, there were so many things, you know, and this is just the way we behave. You know, this is the way we behave. So, so unfortunately, like you're, you're right. Now that the thing has hit the center of government, you know, testing become even more of an elite thing than it was. That it was. So, a random person to get tested now is going to be extremely challenging. Although I had the Jackma consignment has arrived, I think today. So, okay. So, twenty thousand kits is. You know, although again that comes with the challenges, I don't think you know we still need the reagents and all that kind of stuff. So, but at least you know, the, the, theoretically, 
testing capacity has gone up so we don't have to uh, prioritize the elites anymore and then and then all that you know uh, the, the whole nigerian factor shows up in ways that will embarrass us so mm-hmm. so 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 hopefully i mean can get testing uh ramped up and yeah and then basically but even with testing ramped up it's still um the same challenges we're going to have basically identify contacts uh trace and isolate them that's it you know if people start getting into respiratory trouble then i fear it's um it, it's going to be a big challenge you know yeah yeah to a bit of a curveball before I let you go. Uh, with this coronavirus thing, have you revised your views about why nations fail? Well, I mean, uh, to be honest, I think I revised... You, you mean why nations fail? You mean the, the thesis by Samoglu and Robinson? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think, to be honest, even before this, I think I, I was cold, I had gone cold on them. You know, so they they were they, they made quite a number of um, claims that are not quite um, you know they haven't really stood the test of time, if you like. But but you know why nations fail? You know, I I, I still think I'm um, I'm a culture person. You know, so okay. I'm 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 more um, I, I'm aligned to Joe Moker's um, thesis. You know, okay. he, uh, yeah. You know, the culture of growth. That, you know, culture yeah, plays a big yeah. part. You know, culture plays a big part. Now, obviously, culture is something that you know. Why does culture happen? Why does it change? And and you know, I mean, it's not a static thing. So, why does culture change? Why does culture change in one direction rather than the other direction? You know, so those questions remain unanswered. But, but I think that you know, I mean, there are some countries that you feel like these guys would do well under any kind of system. So you imagine that there's some countries that, you know, even if they had a military rule or they had democracy, they'll they still do okay. So yeah, so, so I thought, you know, but I think, you know, once this thing is over, it will probably be a good time to go back to to a lot of what you think. I'll, I'll, I'll never be an advocate of government stepping in and paying people's wages, but this is a this is a, 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 a test and you know and when you think about it uh, this is not a normal recession this is a recession where we want a recession effectively we want the economy to shut down so that yeah. the virus won't spread so we are basically inducing it we we want it to happen we want the economy to pretty much come down to a close and in that scenario, you know, the normal tools of a recession is that, you know, you, the government steps in and tries to boost demand and all that kind of stuff. But in this case, I mean, yeah, what's government going to do? You're not going to boost demand. You can't boost it. I mean, you want the economy to shut down. You want it to, to, to be in a deep recession whereby all shops, all stops are closed, all the cities are closed, so that the virus has nowhere to spread. So in that scenario, you know, it, it's ridiculous trying to boost demand trying to use your normal firepower to boost demand. So it, it means that we need a completely different approach, and which is where, you know, things like paying people to be on ice kind of makes sense because essentially what you want is that if this thing starts on, say, uh, 1st of March, and then by 1st of June it is over, we want to be able to pick up on the 1st of June where we left off 1st of March. 
that's pretty yeah. much what we're doing you know so in that scenario paying people salary uh throwing money at people just basically paying people to sit at home so they don't have to worry and then and that the destruction in the economy is not too much that we don't collapse too much of the economy that would then take too much time to kickstart when the virus is over when we defeated the virus so that we we can say with a good degree of certainty that it, it, the damage lasted three months because we wanted it to and no more you know otherwise if you allow the the economy to shut down without any kind of protections then we shut down the economy for three months and then we are looking at another one or two years before we can get back to where we were so so this is the test of you know the kind of things that i believe that you know and i'm to be honest i'm grateful that i live in a society where the government can actually step in and do that kind of thing yeah you know so so you know which is why i'm a bit uneasy about the whole shutdown in 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 africa in countries like nigeria i mean the government just does not have the capacity to do anything government does not even know where nigerians are never mind sending them a check you know so <laughs> you know so i hope that you know i hope there'll be something that prevents the european system being layered on countries who do not have the european society if you like yeah all right thank thanks yeah. very much say all right thanks a lot appreciate it. yeah i i hope we all come out that the other side of this pretty fine yeah <laughs> all right thanks Thank you. yeah